Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church to make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. And you guys may be seated, and while you do that, give God a praise offering with your hands. Come on, put your hands together. Make some noise. We don't do it for the band. We don't do it for the pastor. We're here all about Jesus. Amen? And I'm very excited to share with you guys the Word of God. And I'm going to be talking today or speaking about the fellowship of the unashamed. The fellowship, not of the rings, the fellowship of the unashamed. And I'm going to base it off 2 Timothy chapter number 1. Before we get into the Word of God, the thing about 2 Timothy, whenever you hear 2 Timothy or even 1 Timothy, you know that it's a very important book and you got to pay attention because it's some of Paul's last words. Apostle Paul's locked up. He's already old towards the end of his life. He's served God all his life. And in a prison cell, he's leaving his last words to a young guy that's going to continue everything that he started called Timothy. That's why the letter is called 2 Timothy. It's the second letter he sends to this young man right about, right before he passes away to continue everything that he started. And whenever a person that's already old doesn't have a lot of time, doesn't even have time to meet you because he's behind bars and he's, he's sending you his last letter, I mean, you could be certain that whatever he's going to write there is very important. It's no time to play around. These are the things that you should worry about. So 2 Timothy is a book that when you read it, it's going to drive home things that are really important in life. And it's kind of weeding out distractions. And how many of you guys know that we have a lot of distractions that keep us from serving God? We want to do what's right. And sometimes we don't even realize it, but we're caught up in so many distractions. And at the end of the day, we said, well, I didn't even have time. I didn't go to church today, or I didn't have time to pray. So uh, Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy some things that are super important, of which we're going to touch upon one of them. And it's about being unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to start reading in a little bit. But as an introductory statement, if we've spent our entire Christian life just coming to church but never influencing the people that surround us with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ, in a sense, we could be being ashamed of the gospel. I want to ask you guys, has somebody ever done something so dumb with you being present that it made you feel ashamed of being with them? Raise your hand. <laughs> Let's start with family members. Have you ever had a family member do something so dumb that you're like, oh my gosh, I wish I don't know this guy. <laughs> I just, I'm not with him. It's happened to me a bunch of times with a few people. When you don't know a person that well, you become more easily ashamed. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove that to you in just a little bit. Uh, I remember there was a friend that I met, a Christian guy in New York. His name was Carlos. He was a bass player back when I used to lead worship. And we went to this church called Adonai back in Queens, New York. And I remember, we, you know, we got really close. Our band went over there for one of their youth conferences. So we were playing at their church, at their youth conferences. And then afterwards, you know, they were taking us around Manhattan, you know, just to see the sights. We went and took pictures in Times Square and stuff like that. And I didn't know this guy so well, but this guy was a lot. He, he's like those type of people that 
He's not ashamed of anything. He'll just start screaming in the middle of the subway. And I'm like, what in the world? Because I didn't know him. So I was, I was kind of like, at first, the first time we went out as a group, I'm like, this guy is crazy. He's a Fruit Loop. So uh, some people are just wild cards. You never know what they're going to come up with next. So jump with me to the Bible now. Let's, let's see what the Word of God tells us with respect to being unashamed. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, and tw- 8 through 12. Apostle Paul starts writing to this young man, and I want you guys to receive this for you. These are important words for any follower of Jesus Christ. How many say amen? Any followers of Jesus Christ in this place? All right. So he's talking to us. It says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. You can tell that Paul was inspired, and you can tell that Paul knew that he didn't have a lot of time. So, man, this is, there's so much substance in these words. There's so much encouragement in these words. And we're going to try to use our time wisely today to be able to talk a little bit and get substance out of this, because... In these just five verses that we just read, there's so much encouragement for our walk in Christ. So I want to start off talking a little bit about shame because he started off saying, don't be ashamed. He's telling young Timothy, listen, don't be ashamed of going through sufferings for Jesus Christ. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, of the testimony of Jesus Christ. So I started looking a little bit into shame. I found out that shame most of the time is an indication of a relational disconnect. I found out that most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, shame is an indication of a relational disconnect. For example, if you don't believe you can be loved by someone, you will find it impossible to be in an authentic relationship with anyone. You would do anything to distance yourself from others in order to protect yourself from being truly known. And why do you do that? Well, because inside you think that if people really knew you, they wouldn't want to be in a relationship with you. So this is an indicator that shame is at play. So you see how shame sometimes is caused by a relational disconnect? Shame is not the same thing as guilt, even though they're similar. The story that I gave you guys, and I told you about this guy in New York called Carlos, he's actually now a youth pastor for Pastor Jude in California. The reason why I kind of felt ashamed to be with that guy is because I didn't know him. But I saw his sister right next to him, and his sister was like, oh, I'm used to this. Because relationship, she already knows that her brother acts up in public, and, and, you know, he's kind of crazy, like, in that way. Not in a bad way, but he's just out there. So because I didn't know him, I felt kind of ashamed. But because her sister knew him, she was all right about it. Guilt versus shame, they're very similar, but not the same. And I'll show you a comparison Guilt's message is, I did something bad. 
And when you do something bad, you need justification and you need forgiveness. Am I right? Now, look how different shame is. Shame's message is, I am bad, which is very different. If you just do something bad, you know, good people sometimes do bad things, make bad decisions. You ask for forgiveness. You know, as people of God, sometimes we want to do the right thing, and we're walking God's way, and we're trying to do the best of our ability, but sometimes we fall. We make mistakes. We tell a little white lie. Or we do certain things that get us by, and then the Holy Spirit tugs at our heart and says, look, man, you're, you're bought by my blood. You shouldn't be doing those things. And then you, you ask for forgiveness because you are a person that loves God, but you did something bad. But shame, shame has a message that tells you you are bad. It's not that you did something bad. Shame's message is I am bad. And when that happens, you need an identity shift and relational connection. So what does shame do to you? Shame messes with your identity as a child of God. Shame messes with your identity, with who you are as a child of God. There's some people that they don't pray because they say, no, I don't think God will forgive me because I am bad, right? So that shame keeps you away from God when all God wants you to do is draw closer to him. So you see how the enemy works. So when there's shame involved, there needs to be a change of identity. You need to know who you are, and also you need to restore a relationship that's been broken. And the reason why sometimes we feel shame is because our relationship with God is not where it should be. You fix your relationship with God, and the shame disappears. How many say amen? So why is this important? Well, when we are ashamed of talking to people about what Jesus has done in our life, how he saved you with his power, how he's forgiven all of your sins, given you everlasting life, healed you, connected you with your destiny. The reason for it is a lack of relational connection. So my question to you is, how good is your connection with the man or to the man upstairs? Because that's going to say a lot. You know, sometimes we don't even know why we're ashamed to share the gospel with people. God's been so good to us. He's done all those things that we just mentioned. He's healed us. He's blessed us. He's forgiven all our sins. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have eternal life. But because I gave my life to God, now I have eternal life. But why don't you share that with people that don't know about Jesus? And sometimes we don't realize it, and it's because there's a relational disconnect. So Paul here is challenging us as believers. He's talking to Timothy, but, I mean, we're Timothys of this era. We're people of God. We're coming to church. We want to do the right thing. We want God to use us. We've been set free, delivered from bondage, and now we're ready to serve God in appreciation of everything that God's done. So Paul's challenging us as believers not to keep everything God has done to ourselves, but to scream it out from the rooftops. How many say amen? He's telling us, look, don't stay quiet about everything that God has done. We need to get the word out about how good of a Savior we have that he is still alive, that he still heals, that he still delivers, and that he still is able to do above and beyond anything that we could ever need or desire. How many say amen? Can you touch somebody around you and tell you that's the God that I serve? That's the guy that we serve. He's an unlimited God. So what happens? We live in an age, as you guys know, where society calls things that are good, bad. And the things that are bad, they call them good. We have people in the name of religion driving a truck right through a parade full of parents with children watching fireworks. We have crazy people, not ashamed, to strap suicide bomb vests 
and blow themselves up while murdering as many as they can also in the name of religion. So as a church, we need to stand up and be who God called us to be, his glorious church, the light of the earth, the salt of the earth. What does salt do? You know, now we have fridges, right? But back in the days, they didn't have fridge. I don't see Moses putting, you know, his manna in the fridge. Like, it only lasted one day. It would have gone bad anyways. But, I mean, you know, these people that we read in the history of the world, in the Bible, they didn't have refrigerators. So they used salt not only just to add taste to food, but also to preserve food. So when God tells us that we're the salt of the earth, the church, which is you and me, part of our uh, assignment once we come to know Jesus and God does so much for us is to be able to share with other people and preserve this world from going bad. You see, if, if, if you are God's child and if you are God's spokesperson, but you don't share what God is doing or what God's done in your life with other people that are in need, you know what? The enemy is going to continue to do everything he wants. And then everybody will be in darkness. And you know what? We're just lining up here every Sunday night in this place where the cars that are passing by there can't see us. You know, we're being the light, but we're hidden. And the Bible says that a city on a hill should never be hidden. A city that's on a hill, you could see it from all over the place. And that's what God compares us to. So it doesn't do us any good if we're in an amazing light if the light is covered up. You can have the most powerful light. You can have a reflector going on, but if it's covered up under a box, you're not going to see any of the light. So God is telling us not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If God has healed you, tell the world, look, I was sick and God healed me. You, you're sick too. He can heal you too. If you come to my church, God's going to heal you. Or if you let me pray for you right now in the street where we're in, in Sedanos, wherever you are, God is going to heal you. I have faith. So that's, that's what the apostle is wanting to make sure he gets through to Timothy and also to every single person that was going to read these letters. To us today here in JTP Church, he wants to make sure that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, um, I'm all for that. You had me until you mentioned sufferings. I mean, I don't like to suffer. Raise your hand if you like to suffer. Nobody likes to suffer. Second Timothy 1.8, what we just finished reading, it starts off by saying, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me. He's inviting young Timothy to share with him in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So keep in mind, Paul is writing this from a jail cell. He's like saying, hey, you got to be willing. Maybe you're going to end up in the same jail cell as I am, whipped 39 times just like I was whipped. So sometimes, sometimes we, love, we love God for the things that he can give us. But sometimes whenever our faith is tested and where something goes on in our life that we don't understand, we're like, God, this shouldn't happen to me. I should be living in a cloud. Nobody... Nobody getting to me, you know, all my money, more than always available, always in health. How many of you guys know that it doesn't work that way? God protects us, and God always tells us that our ending is always going to be in blessing. But we're always going to go through stuff in our lives that's going to challenge our faith. And he's telling him, look, be willing to go through sufferings. And I started thinking a little bit about this. Paul is bringing to remembrance the goodness of Jesus. And if you read on all the way to verse 10, you'll realize that he starts saying, be able to 
join with me in the sufferings because after all, God has already, and he starts enumerating things. He says, he's already saved us. He called us with a holy calling. He gave us grace since before time existed. He abolished death. He's bringing life and immortality to light through the gospel. So that same gospel through which we received immortality, everlasting life, you know, be willing to share in the sufferings in order to get that gospel into the people that don't know it. How many say amen? The very thing that he's warning young Timothy not to be ashamed of is what brings about all the aforementioned goodness, all the stuff that he was mentioning. If there is no gospel, then there would be no savior. There is no calling. There is no grace. Death would have persevered. Life would have been dreadful and immortality impossible. So he's saying, look, God's given us this gospel. Gospel means good news. Everybody say good news. When we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that word gospel means good news because that's exactly what it is. But sometimes it costs to be able to share with people the good news of the gospel. And we know we have somebody that's always trying to bring opposition against us. You know, Satan doesn't want you to speak the word of God. He wants to keep the people in his, in his grip. The Bible says that he's working diligently along with his entire army of demons. You don't see this. This is a spiritual army that's going on. You can't see it with your human eyes, but there's, there's a spiritual world of evil and a spiritual world of good. And we have angels that God sends our way to protect us, to guide us, to provide for us. But we also have demons that the enemy uses to be able to keep us and distract us from the calling. So it's a spiritual warfare. And the enemy doesn't want people to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you know what? He wanted to be like God once, and he got kicked out of heaven. And he has no opportunity to repent. The Bible says that there's a lake of fire that's waiting for him. Somebody mentioned the other day in church, and, and I thought it was curious, because sometimes, you know, even when you see drawings, you picture the devil like the king of hell, but he ain't the king of hell. God created hell. He's just going to be sent to hell first before anybody else. But he ain't the king. He doesn't rule there. The Bible says that he wants to take as many people, and this is what he works diligently for. The Bible says he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to drag as many people as he can into everlasting damnation. But that's where we come in. That's why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful, and that's why we can never stay quiet, because it's power. And that's what Apostle Paul just said, if you read it correctly. It's power. Everybody say power. It's power enough to set people free, to get them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, to get them from uh, an eternity in damnation and pass them over into the kingdom of light for everlasting life in Christ Jesus. How many say amen to that? That is worth suffering for. I wish I would have gotten some amen. I said that's worth suffering for. Definitely. Goals. Raise your hand if you have goals in life that haven't been accomplished yet. Raise your hand if you have dreams that you still want to accomplish. Okay, we all have, and we all share goals, dreams, and even causes. Causes require some level of fight. If you have a goal, man, in order to reach that goal, sometimes you got to fight. Things don't just come by default. You're a little bit overweight and you want to go to the gym, and you want to get fit, you have to pump some iron, am I right? And you have to wake up early, and you have to become disciplined, and you have to lift weight, and you have to sweat. No pain, no gain, as they say, am I right? 
If you want a financial goal and, and you're saving for a home, man, you're going to have to stop going out on the weekends and, you know, eat your little spaghettis at home or whatever you cook up at home. Because why? Because now we're, we're trying to buy a house. We're saving a down payment, and this requires effort, so we're going we're gonna to suffer a bit. I'd rather be, you know, eating out, but you know what? We're suffering for this cause. The greater the cause, the more worthy the suffering. And the cause of Christ is something that's even greater than you and me. So that's why Apostle Paul is saying, look, you got to be willing to be able to go through a little bit of suffering because the cause is worth it. How many say amen? We look at even bigger causes. The causes that I just shared with you were financial, right? To buy a house. But what about when you're trying to conquer a nation? One of the movies that I love to watch is Braveheart. You guys remember Braveheart? It was a huge cause. They were fighting for their freedom. And I remember when William Wallace, was that his name? He, he gathered all the people and he gave them an inspiring speech. And he goes, let's go, let's do this. And, and everybody was like, ah. And they were ready to die for a cause. Why? Because the cause was greater than them. How much more greater than that cause is the cause of Christ? We're talking about saving people from eternal damnation, getting them from spending an eternity in hell into knowing God, how good of a God he is, not just for when we die and go into heaven, but also for here. God wants to bless us here a hundredfold, like the Bible says. So sometimes obeying God will put you in pretty tight spaces. It might even get you in trouble with close friends who are less committed. And Paul is writing this locked up in a jail cell for preaching the gospel. He was also whipped 39 times, persecuted, shipwrecked. There's actually a couple of verses that he starts mentioning all the things that he went through in the gospel. And then he says, I feel privileged to be able to go through these things. How many love Jesus enough to be able to go through certain sufferings, to be able to get the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ into people's lives? Amen. So his connection with Jesus made him know that he was at the right place at the right time. From afar, you could probably think and assume that, man, this guy ended up wrong. After all he did for God, he's locked up in jail, and he's beat up. And, and these are his last words. I mean, God didn't give him a mansion before he died. I mean, this guy, he spent his life. Read verse 12, the last verse that we just finished reading, because here we find the reason why he did all that. Because sometimes serving God is not going to be so pretty. And sometimes you got to be willing to pay the price to be able to serve God. Some people come to church and God starts ordering stuff in their lives. You know, I've had people come excited and say, Pastor, since I started tithing, God started blessing me financially. I got a new job. That's amazing. But you have to understand that your faith will always be tested. There will be times where you're going to cry out to God. Where is God in all of this? And God's just testing your heart to see if you love him more than the blessings that he gives you. Sometimes we fall in love with God's blessings and we're like, oh God, well, if you don't give me the blessings, then I'm out. So do you love him or do you love his blessings? You remember how long Abraham waited to have a son? How long? 25 years. From when he was 75 to 100 years old, God gave him a child when he was 100 years old, an old man. It was a miracle. And he loved that kid so much. Imagine waiting for a child 25 years, and God himself gave him to you. Not only that, 
God had a promise over that child, and he said, look, I'm going to make your descendants greater than all the stars in the heaven. Go to the beach, Abraham. Go to the beach. Try to count all the little grains of sand. Yeah, right. Well, that's how much your descendants are going to be. So there was a promise over the son. But a few years down the road, God tells Abraham, Abraham, you know what? Right when he woke up, he told him, I want you to give the son that I gave you back to me. I want you to take him and offer him as a sacrifice unto me. And didn't give him an explanation. Because sometimes, sometimes God tells us to do certain things, and we want him to give us point A, point B, the reason. God didn't tell him anything. Just go and do it. And I imagine how many things went through Abraham's head before he actually got to the point to do it. They actually had to travel like about two or three days to get to the place where God wanted him to offer him. I wouldn't even want to be there in the conversation that he had to have with his wife. Uh, honey, God called me, and out of the blue, he told me to give him back the son that he gave us. So I'm leaving tomorrow morning. See ya. Could you imagine what that conversation was like? Uh, are you crazy? Are you nuts? What, God told you that? Are you sure? Are you sure you didn't drink a little too much last night? Or what? Are you serious? How could God, being such a good God and having so many pro things, just don't add up? And the Bible says that he went and he had all the intention of killing and offering his son as a sacrifice to God. When he was about to just grab the dagger and kill his son, he heard the voice of God telling him, stop. Now I know that you love me above all things. You see how God sometimes tests us? He wants to know if we love him more than the blessings that he gives us. And if you hold on to God and if you committedly decide, I'm going to follow God no matter what happens. If I have to suffer, I have to suffer. If I have to, but I am going to serve God. God's always going to have your back. And he's always going to promote you and he's always going to bless you. How many say Amen. Well, as you guys know, Abraham, you know, he kept his son, obviously, and every single Jew that you see, the people of Israel, all descendants of this man. So the prophecy came to pass. And if you read a couple of chapters into Genesis, you see that at the end of his age, Abraham was super rich, super blessed in every single area of his life. Come on, touch somebody close to you and tell them it's worth it to serve God. It's worth it. So let's get to the reason I want to finish off this last point. Why should I do this? Why did Apostle Paul go through all these sufferings and take whips? And the minute they let him out of jail, instead of saying, well, you know, I got to be more careful now because I don't want to fall into this again, he was already dying to get out to preach to more people. Well, verse 12 says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Touch somebody and tell them, Never be ashamed. Why wasn't he ashamed? We're about to find out next. For I know whom I have believed. Everybody say, for I know. You remember that I told you, we talked a little bit at the beginning about shame being the result of a relationship disconnection? Well, notice that he says, for I know. He's saying, I know my God. Why is he unashamed? Because he knows there's a connection there. He knows who God is. He knows that God will never leave him. He's saying that I know it all comes down to relationship. I know that God is going to help me. And, and he continues saying, for I know who I have believed 
and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. He's saying, I know who I have believed in. I'm going to ask you a question, JTP Church. Do you know who you've believed in? Do you know God close enough to know that God always wants the best for you? Even if you're going through a fiery trial, like Peter writes in 2 Peter, and you don't know why you're going through that, do you have enough relationship with him to be able to know that it all is going to end up working for the good because you love him? And that's what, that's what he's trying to get to Timothy. That's what he's trying to get to us today. We need to know God enough to know even if we're going through a situation that's causing suffering, if we're leading while we're bleeding, like we spoke in cell class a few weeks ago, if we're doing stuff while we have issues in an area of our lives, man, I know God enough to know that he's not going to put me to shame. He is going to lift me up. And if I continue serving him and not being ashamed of the gospel, God's going to bring all things to conclusion, and he's going to bless me. So he's saying, I am persuaded. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's going to come through for me. You see, persuasion and conviction are byproducts of close relationships. When you're persuaded that somebody will never turn their back on you, I could say that about Carla. I could say that after 11 years of marriage, if somebody comes bad-mouthing me, into Carla's ears and talking bad about me, I know she's going she's gonna to stand up and defend me. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Why? Because I have a relationship with Carla and we're close. I know that she's going to have my back. She also knows that I'm going to have her back if something like that happened to her as well. Why? Because there's closeness. There's relationship. Paul is saying, God and I, we've been through stuff and I know he won't let me down. Don't let these whip marks and this prison cell fool you. I know that God is powerful. And I know that everything that I've committed, listen to what he says. He says, he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. What did Paul commit unto God? His entire life. Up until the day, or, or starting from the day where he had an encounter with God, after he was persecuting Christians his first half of his life, from that encounter on, he committed to God his whole life. He says, look, no longer do I live. Now God lives in me. So I'm not, I no longer am the one that's in control of my life. Whatever God says, that's what I'll do. Whether I understand it or not, whether I, you know, whether it's going good or whether it's going bad, wherever God sends me, that's what I'm going to do. And because he committed his life unto God, he says, I know that everything that I have committed to God, God will one day bless on that day. And notice in your Bibles, I don't know if you caught it, that the word day is capitalized. So it's talking about a specific, incredibly important day. You catch that? It's talking about have committed to him until that day. You could see the screens right there, capital D. He's talking about a specific day. So I want to finish off talking a little bit about this. Luke 16, 2. Luke 16, 2 says, So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. This is a parable that Jesus was, was telling him. And, and what I want to get out of this is that we're all stewards of this life that God has given us. We're living life right now. We're in the middle of our lives. 
And life is a gift from God. How many say amen? But it's not so you can use it as you please. You see, we've been bought with a price, a very steep price, which is the blood of Jesus Christ, the immaculate Lamb of God. That blood is very costly, but he shed it for us to cleanse us. So we've been bought. I no longer belong to myself. If I'm a Christian, I no longer have the power to decide what I want to do. I am actually a person that, wants, that needs to live according to what God wants to do in my life. I'm going to be moved the way God wants me to move. That's why Paul said, no longer do I live. Now Jesus lives in me. How many say amen? So here we have to understand that one day we're no longer going to be stewards. There's going to be a day where time is going to stop. Time will be no more. And that's it. We will have no life. We won't be in these bodies that we are right now. We won't be flesh and bones. Our spirit is going to live on, and every single soul of every single person will be before God. And that's why that D on the day is capitalized. That's going to be a big day. That's going to be a day where decisions are going to be made according to what you did in life. If you please God, if you denied yourself and lived for God, there will be everlasting life. And all the things that you have committed, like Paul is saying, unto God, will be rewarded by God. But if you decided to live your own way and do things your way and not please God, not serve God, be ashamed of the gospel and keep it all to yourself, then there's going to be a lot of disappointment on that day. So Paul's saying, I know that I am not losing out on this. I know that I may be suffering a little here for the cause of, of the gospel, but I know that I've been used by God to lead millions, literally millions of people to know Jesus Christ and I know that one day God is going to reward me. My gosh, I mean, we can live in this world 75 years, 80 years. That's about the average, right? Uh, depending whether you're male or female. Let's say you live up to 100. But, man, compare that to all eternity. You know what's eternity? You never die. We are immortal beings. Our spirit will always live on. So if you're going to work hard to build something great, Work hard to build something great for eternity because you're going to be there a lot longer. But people don't work that way. And people don't, they don't build up or they don't um, serve God understanding this. And, and they're all living like if this is everything here. And they try to make so much money. They don't even have time to pray. They don't even, and you don't realize that the most important things are once we pass away from this life and go into our eternity. I want to say Amen. So Apostle Paul is saying, he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. There's going to be a day where we will no longer be stewards. And every single one of us will have to give an account for what we did with the life that God granted us to live. Paul is saying when that day comes, he's going to remember everything I've committed to him. I ask you today, JTP Church, are you too busy committing for yourself? That you don't have time to shine God's light into the world? Or are you shining God's light and letting everyone know about the grace and power and freedom that can only be found in Jesus? I want to finish up today, if somebody could help me on the keys. And I want to work my way from the, from the back up to the front. The verses that precede, the ones we just finished reading at the beginning, are verse 6 and 7. And I want to put those up in the screen for you so you could read them with me. And verse number six says, therefore, you guys got it? Verse number six. 
2 Timothy 1.6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So before he's telling young Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel, he's encouraging. He's like, look, you're doing great. You're coming to church, going through the forward movement, but don't stop because there's gifts that God has given you. And I want you to stir them up. Notice that he doesn't say pray to God so God could start activating those gifts. No, no, no. He says you, stir them up. Stir them up. I did a little bit of research, um, and I went into the Matthew Henry commentary of the Bible, and it's not talking about a spiritual gift that's natural. It's not talking about a gifting like I could play an instrument well. It's talking about supernatural giftings. And the Bible says that God has given every single one of us the power to to do things if we just believe. I, I love it because Apostle Paul is encouraging young Timothy to stir it up. He says, look, don't settle for where you are now. God wants to take you deeper. You're in awe of the things that we, myself as an apostle, was able to do. The Bible says that Peter would, would just pass by and his shadow would pass by the sick people and the sick people would be healed. How insane is that? So what they would do is they would line all the sick people, and Paul, all he had to do is just pass in his shadow, and all the people would get up, you know, the lame, the blind will see, crazy things. But he's telling young Timothy, he's like, look, Peter and myself and, and all these apostles, God has a gifting over your life, and don't be ashamed to use it. Stir up the gift of Christ because God wants to use you to be a light. And then verse 7 says, for God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. You see, it's interesting because that's what keeps us from not being ashamed of the gospel. That's sometimes what keeps us from sharing about Jesus with other people that we don't know or for praying for people and believing, oh my gosh, what if I pray for him and he, God doesn't heal him? What if I do this and he thinks I'm crazy? So fear gets in the way. But he's telling us, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power. Everybody scream power. power. The gift that comes from God, the spirit that comes from God is not the spirit of fear. That comes from somebody else. But the spirit that comes from God is power and a sound mind or self-control. If there is no disconnect in your relationship with God, you'll know that every time you speak, it won't just be words, but there's power behind those words. You know, God is waiting for some crazy people to just stand up and look for somebody with a need and just declare a word. Sometimes we're expecting like a little angel, like Tom and Jerry. I used to watch Tom and Jerry when I was little, and there was a little angel stand on this shoulder on Tom and another and the devil here and and they will whisper in their ear and sometimes we think that God's gonna tell us pray for him I'm gonna heal him and since we don't hear nothing we don't you know what God is waiting for you to say the word for God to activate his power sometimes God is waiting for you to do something and activate and engage with God's power this is why we should never be afraid we should never be ashamed never fearful God will always back up our words with his power. But if you don't speak, then God's power cannot be unleashed. The way we stir up the gifts of God is by using them. Tell the person next to you, we got to use the gifts of God. You increase them by taking all the opportunities God gives you to use these gifts. Don't never let fear stop you. Don't ever let timidness keep you from doing God's work. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, and it was fear in itself that led that man to dig and hide his talent. You guys remember the parable? Oh, I feared, so I digged up, 
and I hid my talent. Well, God doesn't want you to hide your talent. And I want to close up tonight sharing you a poem that I found on the internet. I was going to title this preaching Unashamed, but I love this poem so much that I changed it into the Fellowship of the Unashamed, and that's the name of the poem. So I kind of borrowed the title, and it says this. Pay attention to this poem. I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back. I won't let up. I won't slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, shinsi giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions few, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. It's not done. It gets better. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the, ma in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. How many identify with the fellowship? Come on. Can you stand on your feet? I think this is worthy enough to give God praise. If you identify with this, man. I tried to see who the author was, but they say that it's, it's under debate. They don't really know because I'd love to give credit to whoever wrote this. It was amazing. That's who we should be. That's who we're called to be. And let me tell you, the cause is worth it. The cause is worth it. You know, some of you guys are probably in the middle of a trial right now. You know what? Compared to all the things that God is getting ready to do in your life and all the things that God is going to do through your life, towards other people, you know what, just don't even let that distract you. Because that's what the enemy tries to do. You see, here's God. He gives you talents and he tells you, serve me. And you know what the enemy starts doing? He starts lifting up fires in your life, fire in your finances, fire in your, in your marriage, or fire in emotionally, fire. In, and if you spend all your life worrying and distracted about the fire, you're going to put out this fire, and then the minute you put this fire, another fire, and, and you're going to spend all your life putting down fires. But that's why God says, look, in the midst of your fires, in the midst of your trials, keep serving God. Because if you keep serving God, that's how you fight back to the enemy. The enemy, all he wants to do is distract you. He's not after your goods. He's not after your possessions. He's after your faith. What is faith? Faith is believing. I'm, I'm convicted. I, I, I believe. I have a conviction of things that I cannot see. I know that things are going to start happening, and that's what the devil's after. He doesn't want you to see the things that God sees. He doesn't want you to be so uh, relationally connected to God that everything that God sees and breathes, 
you also see and you also breathe and that you're believing for great things. And then whenever you see a need, you declare the word of, that's what, what he wants to stop. But when we're believing that God is for us and not against us, hey, you serve God and watch how God sends an army of angels to put away all your fires and to promote you every single time he puts one off. Romans 1.16 to finish, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Everybody say, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just words, it's power. And that's what this word needs. Close your eyes right there where you are. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity of being part of this fellowship of the unashamed. It's a privilege. So many people strive to belong to so many organizations because they're prestigious universities, Ivy League schools, because just their name precedes them, God, but no greater honor than to be part of your kingdom, your chosen. God, and we believe that every single one of us here have been chosen for a specific purpose. We may be going through stuff. Some of us may be just starting in, your walk, in the walk. Or some of us, others are probably, have been walking for a long time. But we realize that we've probably gotten distracted along the way, God. But today, God, we want to be a part of this fellowship. And we want to stand up and say, God, no matter what happens in life, I want to stand up and I want to be a person that's always going to pursue your dreams for my life. I want to be able to stand up, even if it means suffering in certain times. God, this cause is worthy enough to suffer for. But God, we know that the end of our lives is not going to be suffering. We know, God, that all things work for the good of those who love God. I may suffer a little bit, God, but wherever there's suffering, God, there's always, there's, the sun will always rise the next morning. I pray for every single person in this place, those that want to make a firm commitment, God. I pray that, God, from this day on, something will awaken in their spirit. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit right now will mark them in a supernatural way. God, we, we just declared that the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I'm preaching tonight, is not, does not consist of just words. It's power. And I believe your power is working right now. God, sealing people, calling people, preparing people. God, to be aggressive and being unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of sharing the good news to every single one that they come in contact to. I declare this, and I declare new strength over every single one of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.